Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. Buddhism and Christianity differ immensely. Buddhism, you know, these, these, and atheists can have religious experiences of, of nothingness, like a Buddha can, a void, a sunyata. They differ. So, if we believe what we believe because of sociological conditioning, psychological feelings, we should be seeking truth, not just feelings, not just conditioning. I mean, we're old enough and wise enough to realize that there's more to life than what we've been caused to believe. Now we're going to ask the question is, should we believe what, what we've been caused to believe? And most of us didn't have a choice before, but we're old enough now to think about it. And there are some ways to do it. We, we should ask, secondly, not only should we seek the truth, he says, but we should, be, we should seek reason and apply reason to our beliefs. We should apply logic, apply experience, like what we see out in the world should coincide with our beliefs. If you believe that all things, let's say, are just spirit, and I'm looking out here saying, well, you know, I don't see that. I'm, I'm looking at solid material here. So how can it all be just spirit? Like, that's a fair question, I think. And you've got to do some work to convince me that reality is some kind of an illusion, that this table isn't real, because I think it is. So like, we have to use empirical experience as a test. And, uh, and we have to have experienced our beliefs. And that the very last one, the 25th on this list, is what, what these philosophical ones do, one, two, three, four, and five, the truth, reasonable, logical, empirical evidence and experience, they all lead to the best explanation of a belief. So he's saying, we know why we believe, but if we want to justify it, we need to apply reason and logic and empirical evidence and, and seek the truth rather than being satisfied with being caused or being um, put in a position where our beliefs make us just feel good without further ado. We have to take it to step two. Most of us don't want to live at step one. By the way, it's easier, you know, to live at step one. Just believe what you believe. Live and let live. Leave me alone. I don't want to do this. It sounds impossible it, when you first... Like, how do you do this? If I'm conditioned to believe all this stuff, how do I go about it? What, what, what do you mean reasonable and logical? Like, how do, how do you do that? This isn't scientific stuff. Like, see, we're brainwashed that everything has to be scientific to be reasonable and logical and rational. No one should want to believe in something that's irrational. You walk out there, if we're on the 10th floor, let's say, and there's an elevator, and you look in with your reason, and there's no floor, like the elevator's gone. Geisler says, you can't rationally believe that that elevator's going to be there. Nobody wants to believe something that's irrational. Like, we have a mind unlike most creatures here. Like, at least we have a sophisticated mind unlike most creatures. 
What we believe determines how we live and how we think and how we act and whether we're happy. I, I've spared you all kinds of stats about how this culture is, is anxious and depressed and suicidal, and especially the young, and it's because no one has ever shown us how to just basically calm down from all of this radical subjectivism and just play the game fairly. Believe only what is worthy of you, of your one lifetime on this planet, instead of some garbage that, that is, is, it may not be enough to um, sustain you in the rough time. There, there's something deep about, about true beliefs. And if you say, well, if none of these tests are conclusive, what good are they? Well, I can say, well, it's better to have at least some evidence than none at all. And I can say, check out science. Uh, science changes its paradigms pretty regularly. You know, I mean, we used to believe a very different uh, Earth-Sun relationship, and uh, we, we, we didn't always have the theory of evolution, the current paradigm, we didn't always have quantum physics. We want the most adequate belief, the most truthful belief, you know, the most reasonable belief. And if it meets the second, third, fourth tests, internal coherence, external consistency, and fruitfulness, then it's more than likely the most adequate. What we mean by adequate is it's the most adequate or satisfying interpretation compared to other interpretations. That your interpretation of reality, like let's say you believe in God, somebody else is saying there is no God, you have, you have logic and coherence and, and uh, fruitfulness, and they probably don't. It's not as adequate as yours. So that's that's either, the way Leffel uses it, it's like a simple thing. It's the belief that answers, adequacy is the test that, that is more adequate than any other belief. But I'm using it in another way. I'm saying adequacy is something that, that, that passes all these other tests better than um, some other belief does. I don't want to make it sound like, again, this is conclusive or that we're pitting one belief against another except in very general terms. The general terms are, remember, we're in a culture where we have belief in God, where we have people who don't believe in God. Basically, that would be enough for this class. Um, we could also say there's spirituality that believes in a different kind of God, but let's just make it simple. Is there, is there more... Is there more proof of the experience of the sociology, whatever it is, of the people who believe in God than otherwise? The test of science, just to do the easy one first, is, is um, it, it uses all these tests. That's what's so impressive about it. But it's it's very um, very focused. It seems to me, and I'm I'm not just making this one up. It's it, it's focused on its fruitfulness. Pragmatism is what it's called in, in, normally. Are you? Uh, if, if you say somebody's pragmatic, or the word pragmatism is kind of an American philosophical movement, but pragmatism or pragmatic, it simply means my theory works. My theory is the best explanation. It works better than somebody else's theory. This is what our culture in general believes, that you are justified in believing whatever you believe if it works. Now I hope you can see that, that that test makes sense, but it's limited. 
lots of things work, but they may not be true. Before there was the theory of evolution, before there was Galileo and Kepler and Copernicus to change our understanding of the cosmos, whatever theory there was in science, the Earth-centered theory, with the sun and the moon and the stars all revolving around a static Earth, that worked. That was Aristotle's, Ptolemy's worldview. Like, there's a caution here. The thesis will be with these tests, the main point, I guess, among many points, is that we need them all. All of these tests should be applied to most basic beliefs. Maybe some beliefs, they, they don't work, but most, what I'm saying is all of them should be applied rather than just one. Because anyone, no matter what you believe, could look right at test four and say, my belief must be justified because it works. Pragmatically, it works for me. It makes See, in science, it works if it can control and predict. If your theory works because it, it's showing you something that's verifiable and predicting and controlling. Your religious theory may work in the sense, whatever you mean by that term religiously, it might be it gives me meaning, it gives me hope, it gives me a sense of identity, it gives me salvation, whatever you think that word work means. But that's kind of what we do in this culture. We focus on number four and ignore the other important tests, two and three. For what it's worth, Leffel says that number two is the most important. And yet this culture, including science, um, seems to focus. Especially, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say including science. Science accepts them all as important tests. This stuff is philosophy of science as much as it's the philosophy of religion. These same tests. In fact, they come under the philosophy of science. I just stole them from there. I, there's, there's no mystery to that. But science, you know, when you start worrying about things like quantum physics in the last hundred years or so, sometimes we don't really know the truth because we can't see what's going on at the macro, micro, at the mic, microscopic, beyond the microscopic level. So science sometimes says, we're not sure if our theory is true, but if it works, that should be good enough to justify it, to keep it. If it works, whatever works, we keep. We're in a culture, I think, with most of what we believe scientifically, religiously, ethically, whatever makes us feel good, whatever works, whatever, that justifies it. And I'm saying the appeal for this class is, is, is to do what science does at its best and look at these other theories, coherence and consistency, because quite frankly, when you start unpacking somebody's beliefs, you start finding contradictions, inconsistencies, incoherence, unproven assumptions, all kinds of strange things. No one says you have to worry too much about them all, but if we want an informed, comfortable, reasonable belief, rather than just, I believe because I've always believed, I know it's true, I feel it, rather than that attitude, if we can say, I believe because I know it's true, but I've also taken the trouble to make sure my belief can resolve what the critics would say and what I would say as a critic of my own uh, mature belief is an internal inconsistency, an incoherence, an unproven assumption. We all live with unproven assumptions and they blind us to the truth and they blind us to other people's beliefs. Unproven assumptions are, are like a runaway train. It, they basically are the glasses we use to interpret reality. Uh, without them, we couldn't see anything. We have to have them. Very few people take the trouble to examine what these assumptions are and ask, is it, is it, 
Is it justifiable? Do I start my science, for instance, simply assuming there's no God? Because you know, I can see that, that you could make a case, yeah, we, we shouldn't assume God in science because science doesn't investigate God. It has a limited mandate. I agree. But when I see scientists like Richard Dawkins, um, and he's the main one, the main critic basher of religion, there's no politer word, when I see him turning into a science, uh, turning science into scientism, that's when I have a problem. Science is legitimate. There's no question. It's giving us a, the most accurate picture based on the evidence and reason and logic that it can about the universe. Bearing in mind that the history of science is one theory after another. We have a lot of theories that just don't last forever. So what I'm saying is science is legitimate. Scientism isn't. I haven't described scientism. Scientism is the belief that science is the sole and only truth about all things. And that's what Richard Dawkins represents, among others. D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Richard Dawkins. Uh, Gould is another one. Uh, I think he's dead now, so I don't want to say bad things about him. Uh, Stephen J. Gould. Gould. Um, and uh, Isaac Asimov and Carl Sagan. They're all science, scientisms. Now, the reason I find that a problem is, if you're a religious person, um, or spiritual person, you know that there are a lot of things in life that science can't prove. Science can't prove love. Science can't prove that um, legitimate religious experiences, religious feelings. Science can say these things can all be explained by DNA and all of that, but that's just, that's just a, a pure reductionism and a ridicule almost. What I'm saying is, if you're religious, we accept two sources of truth. We say that Science is legitimate by giving us physical data about the world, but so is what Christians would say and some other religions, revelation, revealed knowledge, um, experiences of God. We accept that spiritually and religiously as a source of truth. And that doesn't mean it's untested. It doesn't mean it's just pure blind faith. Though That source of truth can be tested. What is coherence? We're talking about logical coherence. Coherence means that the parts don't contradict each other. That, that, that the parts cohere. They're consistent with one another. There has to be this inner coherence. If you're a Scientologist, let's say, like Tom Cruise and, and John Travolta, like that's a religious belief. And, and the parts, there are several parts to that, 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 that religion. They have to be consistent with one another. That, that's not like asking too much. You'll be surprised, though, how many beliefs are inconsistent, incoherent. And, you know, a way to argue badly, either for a belief or against it, is to, is to use bad arguments. Like, there's a famous one where, where Christians, let's say, are accused of being incoherent or inconsistent, on the one hand saying that God is in charge, God is sovereign, and some take that word sovereign and start using the word omnipotent, which is used once in the Bible, one time, all-powerful, and in the very last book. So I wouldn't take that word too, too literally. That's a Greek word, and it's kind of, but the Bible says God is sovereign, but some people interpret that 
especially critics, trying to show that there's an incoherence in Christianity and that say, how can God be sovereign in the sense of being in charge, being responsible for everything that happens? How can that be coherent with me being free, with my moral freedom? That's a really, really difficult problem that's been around for 2,000 years in Christianity. Lots of solutions. Thomas Aquinas was asked by the church to solve it, and I think he did. And the Catholic solution is still that of Thomas Aquinas, even though they've added another one by Molinas and some others. But what do you do with that? When a critic says, do we have to be careful here? Because it's easy to look at anybody's belief and say, that's incoherent. This one, I think, is the top of the list for Christianity. Uh, it, there's a second one, like, if God is loving, there's another Christian belief, and God is just, God's loving and just, how then can so many innocent people suffer? That's a vicious question, and that's been around for 2,000 years under discussion. That's, that's, a, that's a, serious, a serious attack to say that isn't the religion then inconsistent. Now, I hope some of you can figure that out. I mean, both of those supposed alleged inconsistencies are not that difficult to resolve. Just because God is good and loving doesn't mean that, you know, innocent suffering is ruled out. Um, my guess would be, just to make a long story short, that most of the innocent suffering is caused by human beings, not by God. And I would think that that understanding of God, the first one we talked about, how can you be free if God is in charge, omnipotently in charge of everything, all-powerful? Some Christians actually believe that. It's a small number, but it's a powerful voice. There's, there's a group of Christians who say, God predetermines everything. And therefore, human beings have no free will. Now, I think they painted themselves into a corner with that one. If I have no free will, that means if I go out, rape, pillage, and plunder, or do good things, it was all God's will. God made me do all of that. That's a very, very difficult belief. It looks incoherent. It, it, it's like saying my belief that God is all-loving and all-powerful doesn't seem to coincide with him or her or it, him, we say in Christianity. It doesn't look like this God determines everything all the evil and the bad stuff. You'd, like What these people do that believe that would say, well, it's all part of God's mysterious plan that these people suffer. But this just doesn't seem right to a lot of us. So, what I'm saying is you're going to find inconsistencies. Remember, these tests are, are meant to look for inconsistencies. And it's up to the person who believes what they believe. If you believe that God's all-loving and all-powerful and just and holy, or if you believe something else, Somebody can legitimately ask you a question, and you should be asking it yourself before they do. Um, how does this coincide with suffering? How does this God, how is it consistent with, with free will? And, and there actually are answers to those questions. We've been, we've been working on those answers for 2,000 years in Christianity, and Islam's working on those answers. And I mean, all religions have to face these immense, huge inconsistencies. Let's say alleged inconsistencies, because... The more, I mean, there may be some things you can't answer. Like, I'll give you one more. Like, the biggest gripe against Christianity, I think I've listed the, the big two. How can a good God, loving God, all-powerful God, how is that consistent with suffering? 
Hence, next year there's a class called God and Evil, because that's my specialty. That's what I do in my secret life, research that issue. Because I think that is the biggest obstacle to belief in God. People look at the world and say, this world is trash, it's suffering, it's unfair, it's unjust. How could you possibly believe in God? God wouldn't allow all this. Well, my challenge would be, give me the arguments why God wouldn't allow all that. And who is allowing it anyway? God's given you free will. That free will has, uh, you know, God lets you play it out. It's more complicated than that. That's a radio soundbite you just got. It's much more complicated than that. But there are ways to defend your belief. No matter what your belief is, there are going to be inconsistencies. There are going to be people saying, I just don't get your Scientology, John. Next time Travolta's over at the house, I'm, John, I just don't get it. Like, I, like, I'd let you use the Windsor Airport to land a jet. Let's talk about it. But like, what's the UFO stuff? I just... I find it inconsistent. Like, show me. I, that's a fair question. Show me why I should believe this. Because otherwise, I'm going to trash you in class. Like, uh, that's just the way it is. And I'm sure you're trashing Christianity all up in your plane. So that's, that's, I think it's a fair question. And I, it, seriously, he takes that like a life and death issue. Like, I take my belief and like, you probably take yours as a life and death issue. It's, it's what you are what you believe, and it's important what you believe. But be aware that you should be answering your own inconsistencies, your own alleged inconsistencies. And if somebody points one out, thank them, and then go and look up the answer or think about it or try to find out whether there is an answer. Like That's what it's all about. Not living in some darkness of faithism, thinking that I believe what I believe and it's fine for me and not for you. Somebody has legitimate I mean, this is multicultural. We're interested in what other people believe here. Um, I think we should all be prepared to give an answer for what we believe. It's that simple. And if we can't, we're not going to be taken seriously. That's the problem. We're not taken seriously at academia, and we're not going to be taken each other seriously. It's fine to say you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, but if you don't say more than that and try to justify it, then it's, most people are just going to just write you off as a faithist. And that, that's a put-down. Which means you have no reason. It's just your opinion. And that's a pretty awful way to live life. People thinking you're walking around just opinionated, um, but you have no reason. So internal consistency has all kinds of things. Another way to put that or to describe that is to say it avoids logical fallacies. Logical coherence, it, it's an absence of logical fallacies, of which there are many. The argument of false association is a good example. Um, alleged problems. I mean, I, I've given you legitimate inconsistencies, uh, but they are there are good answers um, that we, we can accept or not accept, but at least there are answers. There are certain beliefs that we do take on faith. We can't. We can't understand them rationally. We just can't justify them. So what do you do then? Well, what you do then is you... You welcome the criticisms, and you try to answer the criticisms. I'll give you the famous one in Christianity. Christians believe that God is three, and God is one. God is one God with three distinct persons, but it's all the same God. Now, obviously, you're going to find people say that makes no sense. That's an incoherence. You can't be one in three. You can't be three in one. Creep is willing to say, that you know we've written billions of words trying to explain it. 
But it's one of the mysteries of Christianity based on biblical texts that we can't logically explain, but we can, according to Creed, you may be right, we can fend off criticisms. It doesn't mean three gods. It doesn't mean, you know, three persons that are completely distinct. Uh, with no relationship. Like you can you can listen to all the criticisms and defend them. All religions have those vulnerable spots that are very hard. All beliefs have those spots that are very hard. It, so I'm not saying, we're, we're, we're humble here. No one can do this conclusively or you're a fanatic. I mean, it, it, it's impossible to rationally prove all religious beliefs. But that doesn't give us an excuse to say, if I can't prove them all, why should I bother to do anything? We can prove a lot. We can. We have evidence and arguments for most beliefs in Christianity, let's say. There are a few things we don't understand rationally, but we accept because they cohere with the other beliefs, they, they're consistent with the others, and, and the criticisms don't destroy our beliefs. The criticisms don't work. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.